2: Welcome to Hempresent. Present radio show where you can get your PhD in THC because you don't just want to burn it, you want to learn it. Seeking to defeat Prohibition one interview at a time and advocating for the plant, the whole plant, and nothing but the plant. Join me for a weekly reefer radio rebellion against Prohibition as I speak with some of the principal risk takers, movers and shakers and history makers of the cannabis industry, culture and reform movement. I'm your host Vivian McPeak. I am the executive director of the world's largest annual cannabis policy reform event, the Seattle Hemp Fest in its 25th year and found at hempfest.org. I'm also the author of the Book Protestable, a 20-year retrospective of Seattle Hempfest from Aha Publishing and also found at hempfest.org. Transmitting from a fortified bunker under a Ramshackle Reefer Radio Warren at an undisclosed location deep within the rumbling bowels of underground Seattle, my goal is to spread the green flame of 420 truth in 30-minute increments. Today's guest on Hemp Present is Dr. David Ostro, who will be with me in about 60 seconds. HIV or human immunodeficiency virus is a disease that compromises a person's immune system by attacking and killing the body's protective white blood cells. And AIDS has killed almost 40 million people. As the body's natural defense system shuts down, the patient becomes vulnerable to secondary infections such as pneumonia, meningitis, tuberculosis, encephalitis, chronic diarrhea, and various cancers. The most prevalent treatment for HIV AIDS is heart or high active antiretroviral therapy, which constitutes a mixture of medications intended to slow the progression of the disease. An arsenal of pharmaceutical drugs are often prescribed to subdue opportunistic infections and some side effects from additional prescription drugs that are prescribed. Patients with HIV-AIDS can suffer from severe nausea, physical weakness, extreme anxiety, neurological complications, and a total loss of appetite, which can precipitate deadly wasting syndrome. While great strides have been achieved in the battle to fight HIV-AIDS, the disease continues to wreak havoc in some communities in the world. My guest today is not only a pioneer in HIV-AIDS research, but also an advocate of cannabis policy reform, and I'm very honored to have him on my show today. During his training in the MD-PhD program at the University of Chicago, Dr. David Ostrow co-founded the first gay community health center, now the Howard Brown Health Center of Chicago. There he identified hepatitis B as a common sexually transmitted infection among gay men. Dr. Ostrow has published 175 peer-reviewed papers, 50-plus book chapters, and has presented over 60 times at international aid conferences, and he has joined me today and the Hemp Present virtual studios. Welcome, Dr. Ostro, to Cannabis
3: Radio. Well, thank you very much. I hadn't realized that you were the executive director of HempFest, and I'm so pleased to meet you in this way because uh, uh, my first attendance when I was invited to speak at HempFest was one of the. Uh, reasons why I got so involved in this fight and campaign. And I think that's such an important event. I wish I could be able to make it every year.
2: Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that's my 25th year. I've had to work hard to wrap my mind around some of your critical work, the body of which is just impressive, including your work that's been supportive of cannabis as medicine. I have a standard first question, and that is, have you always been a cannabis true believer, or did you go through some conversion along the way? Or how did you make the leap from training for neuropsychiatric research to drug policy reform and medical marijuana advocacy?
3: Very good question. Really, it was the leap from neuropsychopharmacology research after i finished my md phd training and my residency in psychiatry because you know a totally volunteer side thing of mine was developing the first gay health clinic in the united states and when the aids epidemic hit and then you know within a year chicago was seeing a rise in cases I uh, felt it was my civic duty to uh, try to help organize a response in Chicago, both through, the, through that clinic and through the Chicago Health Department. And once I started doing that, it was just impossible to avoid, you know, making the leap from being a psychiatry depression researcher to being pretty much a full-time HIV-AIDS researcher, the same kind of political advocacy that I'm doing now for medical cannabis had to be done in the early stages of that epidemic. And then through that work and my own clinical practice of addiction medicine, it was very clear to me that there were recreational drugs that been at risk of HIV and AIDS uh, used that were problematic and caused you know, increased rates of infection, et cetera. But marijuana was not one of them. And in fact, the only... Things I unearthed about marijuana were that many of my patients were using them, you know, illegally, but they were using them to treat the symptoms of either the disease or the side effects of the medication.
2: They were self-medicating,
3: so, right? Exactly. But some of them had doctors who, you know, were willing to, you know, counsel them, even though they couldn't legally uh, either recommend it or prescribe it at that time. And then I guess the other crucial thing was being invited to speak at uh, my first HempFest about 10 years ago and meeting uh, activists who shared my goals, and that was, A, get rid of the ridiculous federal prohibition of this relatively harmless drug so that we could research and create therapeutic uses in diseases like HIV-AIDS and also to try to develop and I think it's finally happening after 10 years, a way that community researchers and doctors and, and dispensaries, et cetera, around the country could collect data in, in such a way that we could create a database, a longitudinal observational database of as many hundreds of thousands of people going on missile cannabis for um, qualifying conditions, uh, in those states and provinces of Canada, where they um, had a system where the actual amount and ingre- uh, cannabinoid and other molecules in the medicinal cannabis they were using could be determined. So, for example, when Illinois passed their program, it was what I call a closed loop system. Patients could not get cannabis on anywhere other than the licensed dispensaries and the licensed dispensaries had to buy the uh, cannabis or the preparations from it from a licensed cultivation and manufacturing facility that was required to do very precise analytical and make sure there were no toxins the tests for those so that if each stage of that of that industry so i hate using that term but of that of that system were to agree to report anonymously the data on each patient that volunteers through their interaction with their uh, doctor or primary caregiver who who gives their initial recommendation to them, then we could create the same kind of database that I created, started uh, creating 35 years ago on all the persons with HIV and AIDS in five cities, uh, five metropolitan. Now,
2: now in, in that vein, you have been openly supportive of the movement to reform prohibition. You've also supported the integration of cannabinoid medicine training into the medical student curriculum and the formation of a community-based clinical research network. How important is it that we develop such a research source network in the form of a standardized confidential electronic database system to track a patient's use of specific strains of pot and their effectiveness in the pursuit of advancing the use of cannabis as medicine?
3: Well I'm glad you gave the name because that's exactly the project that I've been developing that I was describing uh, just before that question. I think it's a crime that that the community hasn't gotten together. But, you know, it's to do that because if we're going to wait for the government or the pharmaceutical industry to do this, what we're going to end up with with are expensive, patented, proprietary medicines and pills that you take, that will not have what we call the concerto or the symphonic effect of complex mixtures of cannabinoids and terpenoids and other active substances that, in my opinion and many other researchers, is necessary for the optimal response to qualifying conditions and their symptoms and also reduces any of the negative side effects of using cannabis.
2: Should prohibition be defeated, what do you envision for the future of cannabinoid research and medical applications of the plant? And we've got about two minutes.
3: Yeah, well, that's exactly the topic I'm talking on at the upcoming State of Marijuana meeting in uh, Long Beach, California. I believe it's on Tuesday, September 27th. I'll be speaking with Dr. Sue, who's doing the PTSD study. Dr. Sizley. To- Yes, exactly, and several other researchers, and our topic is the future of research on medicinal cannabis. And all I can say is I'm going to talk about the system I'm about to actually implement in conjunction with the foundation for establishing um, certification and, and standards for every stage of the medical cannabis industry or focus, and they, we're in the process of coming to agreement on how my database can be their research wing and use the data that they'll be collecting at each at each stage, if necessary, and combine that with the patient and the and the provider data that we will collect, and in that way achieve this database and hopefully come up with preliminary treatment guidelines that are based on science and data rather than mostly anecdotes we have now and tell us what are the most potentially achievable clinical trials based on that evidence that we should be pursuing or that even pharmaceutical companies and the FDA should be pursuing. But that last stage is, you know, my program is made is made necessary by the prohibition and the inability of us to do research and get funding for research. But when we have this period that observational research is very, very important, but eventually that information will be critical to deciding where people and and industry, et cetera, put the money into doing actual clinical trials.
2: I am talking to Dr. David Ostro, HIV researcher and cannabis activist. We're going to take our first pause for the cause because there's flaws and laws. Hear a brief word from our sponsors and advertisers. Come right back for our second installment, Hempresent. Don't go anywhere.
1: Time to roll out for the people that let us, Hempresent. Hang loose. We're coming right back.
4: More flavor. Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town. Only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play.
1: It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download.
4: Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing.
1: I'm Radical Russ Belville inviting you to join me every weekday on CannabisRadio.com for the Russ Belville Show. It's the NPR of P.O.T. We bring you the latest marijuana headlines, cannabis analysis, drug war data, activist interviews, radical rants, and your live calls. Join me every weekday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, live, only on CannabisRadio.com. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak.
2: And we are back on here present on Cannabis Radio with Dr. David Ostro. Dr. Ostro, the Multi-Center AIDS Cohort Study, or MAX, is an ongoing prospective study of the natural and treated histories of HIV-1 infection in homosexual and bisexual men. It's conducted by sites located in Baltimore, Chicago, Pittsburgh, I think in L.A. You're an investigator and or consultant on most of the NIDA or National Institute of Drug Abuse, funded studies of drugs, alcohol, and HIV in the MAX. Can you tell us in a layman's terms, what is this work revealing?
3: Well, it's a lot of work over thirty some odd years, but uh, it clearly culminates in my conclusion that the rest of my professional career is going to be spent organizing and collecting data and and analyzing data from this national community-based clinical cannabis research evaluation uh, network. Basically, that study which was. Forced by myself and other community gay community medical activists, when the government refused to fund studies of what was the natural history of this disease where people showed up in emergency rooms and hospitals at the very end stage and and then died within six to twelve months, there, there was no knowledge of what preceded that by any by any period. And we had to shame uh, the Reagan administration in it by appearing before Congress and and having the uh, chair of the uh, Committee on uh, Health and Welfare Appropriations uh, read our grants requests uh, to the CDC uh, to doing these studies into the congressional record and then calling back. Reagan's uh, official who uh, oversaw the, a- the activities of the CDC and had previously testified that they were doing everything possible. They didn't need any money for, for HIV research because they hadn't even discovered uh, HIV at the time. And we came back the next week and and a doctor, uh, his, uh, Congressman Natcher confronted him with the our testimony from the week before. He said four, you know, three or four words. I may have misspoke. And at that point, Natcher just brought his his mallet down and said four million dollars for AIDS research. And we know, you know, that now it's 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 up to at least a billion dollars a year of NAH funding on AIDS research. But the first studies, first large studies that they launched were the, the 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 four or five investigators who spoke at that hearing had each applied to do a natural history study and they were supposed to be independent studies but i I guess they decided that just like a national database on cannabinoid medicine and the natural history of patients uh, on that is so valuable they decided that they could do a coordinated and standardized study across all five metropolitan areas it would be much more valuable than uh, any you know independent investigations, because to really combine data from studies and it have it be very meaningful, it, they have to use identical methodology and surveys and ask the questions in the same way and so forth and Here we are talking about asking people that very personal information their their sexual behaviors, their partners how they, and how they met them, and my main interest was also the drugs, every drug they use because we didn't know the cause, although it was pretty – we suspected it was going to be a virus, and several years later, it did turn out to be that. And fortunately, by that time, the cohorts of about 1,500 men in each city that we had recruited uh, turned out to be you know, about 40 to 50% HIV positive and the rest uh, HIV negative so it gave us two great opportunities there were about four since, since we started the study at the peak of infection and spread of, of the virus there were between 400 and 500 men in the max who became infected or seroconverted while they were in the study. and we had blood samples and data and laboratory information on them before they got infected and after and we, we and we also genetically identified the the actual strain of virus they had. And that data and the samples that were stored of their lymphocytes, et cetera, was the source of most of the studies that have shown what uh, factors both in the individual and their immune system and in the virus strain account for why some people have very fast progressing disease and others like myself are healthy for like 25, 30 years before they need therapy. The rest of it is you know just about any major discovery about you know cofactors of infection and things that affect the effectiveness of of treatment or, or outcome or death and, or quality of life and mental health. Much of that has come originally from the Mac study and the various add on mental health and drug studies that that, that I uh, concentrated in because that was my training. And God, what, what did we find out? We were able to determine since we knew the men's HIV status before they did, we were able to look at what were the mental health consequences of either having HIV infection or thinking you had HIV infection. It was very clear that people were depressed or had symptoms that did not correlate to whether they were infected or not, but what what they thought themselves or believed was, was their status. And I think that applies the same way with many of the diseases that medicinal cannabis is being prescribed for, and maybe even some of the responses, that people's attitudes and beliefs about the effectiveness of medical cannabis is being shown over and over again to be a great predictor of whether they use it as a complementary medicine and whether they feel it uh, it helps them. And then the integrative part comes from that same those same findings. How can you treat people for serious chronic illnesses if you don't bring this amazing form of complementary medicine and integrate it into their general health care? They can't be separate identities, you know, we call siloed, you know, from each other, or the patient is not gonna get the full benefit of either uh, type of therapy. Other things were that the use of three types of drugs that I focused on, methamphetamines are the stimulants, volatile nitrites, poppers, and erectile dysfunction drugs, the men who used one, two, or three of those drugs have accounted for two-thirds of all new infections in the men and the max over the last 15 years. So that was very important. And when you put in marijuana use as a variable or covariate, you find that it has a somewhat protective effect in infection and also a slight but significant protective effect in the rate of uh, decrease in their immune cells as the disease progresses. So both the, uh, of those reasons have, have launched me into studying how we can translate the epidemiological data on cannabis use among people with HIV and translate that into actually developing cannabinoid therapeutics for prevention and treatment.
2: I am talking to Dr. David Ostro. It's time for our second break. We're going to take a quick pause for the cause. Listen to some advertisers. Come right back for our final questions.
3: Time to roll out for the people that
1: let us present. Hang loose. We're coming right back.
4: Thousands of cannabis professionals convene this August in Portland, Oregon, to the city responsible for half a billion dollars in cannabis commerce. The Portland Expo Center hosts Indo Expo, August 6th and 7th. Indo Expo has seed to sale covered all weekend long with educational seminars and over 250 exhibitors, lights, nutrients, trimmers, extractors, greenhouses, cutting edge grow gear genetics smoking accessories and more Free admission for buyers store owners and mj industry professionals visit www.indoexpo.com while the feds and state are doing their dance you
3: still need to transact business and manage your cash go professional and let your customers pay with PayQuick. they pay you and they earn rewards points
4: Mention the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on CannabisRadio.com. And don't try to debate me on something. Motherfucker, I can't do many things well, but words are my shit. The Stoner Jesus Show, live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at CannabisRadio.com and StonerJesus.net. Peace, bitches. We're back to Hemp
1: Present, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp,
2: Vivian McPeak. We're back on Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio with Dr. David Ostro. Dr. Ostro, are there any projects that you're working on right now that you're really excited about that you'd like to tell us about?
3: Well, first of all is the one I mentioned before that our long unsuccessful search for funding to implement the uh, national community-based uh, clinical cannabis evaluation research network uh, may happen uh, through the uh, our collaboration with FOCUS because we would then be one of their sub-projects and the head of that is seeking you know major funding from organizations and foundations that wouldn't have a conflict of interest that would fund the implementation of that program. It's very hard to get a funding for something that's community-based and the usual government and industry sources do not see as part of their um, purview.
2: Quickly, how effective is cannabis in combating wasting syndrome in AIDS patients? We have about maybe one minute.
3: Oh, it's at least, if not better, more effective than the, um, the oral form of uh, THC that people take because they can Marrow. titrate it better and... Don't have all the side effects that comes along with you know the digestion of a large dose of THC.
2: Well, you know, I, I just must say that that it's very seldom that I get to talk to somebody who's saving lives to the degree that that the kind of work that you're doing is. Thank you so much for for your. How does it make you feel to know that your work may potentially save millions of people's lives?
3: Well. Uh, I don't know about millions, but people saying things like you just said makes all the work and all the sacrifices worthwhile in my mind.
2: Well, I certainly uh, hope that you'll come back to Seattle HempFest sometime. Uh, This is our 25th year. It's been kind of a tough year, but I'm expecting that we'll have more of them. We'd certainly love to see you back at at Seattle HempFest. I hope you had a good experience when you were there before.
3: Wonderful. Like I say, uh, the people I met there and the experiences, the first time I went were very important, and in fact, the, the people who sponsored my my coming there to speak was the Seattle HIV/AIDS support organization.
2: Awesome! Well, that makes me extremely so, proud. So, so
3: they knew something before I knew it, you know.
2: <laughs> well, that makes me uh, ex- extremely proud that we're able to influence you to get involved because we desperately need academics like yourself, also you know, waving that banner of legalization because cannabis prohibition has been a dismal failure. If it was meant to stop people from using cannabis, I'm not sure if it could have been a bigger failure, but it's also been a human rights catastrophe as well.
3: Thank I you agree so on much. All those fronts. And and you mentioned educational training of healthcare professionals. That's why I'm I'm including that in my mission because Legalized medicinal cannabis is is not going to be available or used unless we train we change the attitudes and give education to future doctors, nurses, etc. Who are now only thank told you. the uh, thank negative aspect.
2: Thank you so much for being on Hempresent and for all for the great work you've done. Thank you. All right, take care. Now I need to get to the weekly feature Hempersent on com, and that's the quote of the week, and here it is. Aspirin is safe, although it claims between 1,000 to 2,000 people per year. With cannabis, it's been around for thousands of years. There's never been a death. Never been a death. Is there any other substance in the pharmacopoeia about which you can make that claim? I'm not sure there is. That's Dr. David Grinspoon. That concludes this installment of him on Cannabis Radio. I want you to grab a pen and paper and write down my email. I want to thank my people in the control room, Hannah and Brasco, and all the Cannabis Radio sponsors and advertisers. Join me next week for some more reefer repartee and cannabis confabulation with some special Hempo Sapien on a journey to justice because when it comes to prohibition you have the right not to remain silent activism requires a voice so find yours and speak up for justice because resistance is fertile till then my friends stay strong stand tall toke it easy don't forget to email me at hempresent at gmail.com the Hempresent theme song Take Back the Planet" is performed by Stickerbus and sung by a much younger version of myself turn up the music maestro cause I'm out Marijuana THC. See <laughs> ya.
4: The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.
0: Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana.